Welcome back, inebriates. Uh, this is your host, as always, Andy. And I'm joined today by uh, director Chad Farron, who, I mean, we get a lot of PR stuff through our email. And uh, every once in a while, one kind of just jumps out at you. And when you get one for a movie called Pig Killer, you're like, all right, hang on. Let me let me look a little deeper into this. Um, so, <laughs> well, I did a Google search on. Oh, we'll get to that. But um, you've you've directed several horror movies. Um, and we, I was just telling you before we start, we just finished our our first horror convention. Um, I love horror movies. I love bad horror movies. Um, so where where does I suppose where's your love of horror come from? Like, has it always uh, been there? Did it develop later on? Or, you know, growing up as a kid on a little midwestern farm uh, with a 13-inch black and white quasar television, hooked on Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents and One Step Beyond, The Outer Limits. I mean, all that stuff kind of just shaped where it all started at, at, at birth. Really, you know, the TV was my babysitter, and <laughs> we we had this long affair going, and that kind of was the birth of it all it's so funny like i i was very much the same way but the thing that like piqued my interest in the macabre was um do you remember uh there used to be the i can't remember the actor's name he was in city slickers um but he did um Ripley. i'm sorry jack palance yes he did ripley's believe it or not Oh, sure, sure. And it was the creepiest show. Like, he could be doing, like, the most mundane, like, look at this dog who has two tails, but he, just the way he does it, it's so creepy. Right. And, like, I just fell in love with, like, all everything weird and creepy and eerie. I mean, that was <laughs> where it all began for me. Yeah, no, because I think, you know, you're around creepy, so a nice escape is something creepier, you know, from is my way of looking at it. You know, I've, I've Growing up, you seeing animals killed and, you know, people bullied. I mean, all these things that you just, you know, you just kind of roll off your back. You kind of want to escape into something that's even more demented, I guess, for me. I, I yeah, I can relate to that. Um, and you you made me think of, um, I'm sure you heard of the, or probably seen the, um, the Netflix movie, Don't Look Up. Sure. And everyone's like, oh, it's so great. I'm like, I didn't like it. It was too. It was too real. Like I didn't enjoy it. It took me like three sittings to get through it because I'm like, this isn't escapism. It's like that's how shit is, and I right, right. didn't like it. <laughs> so it's interesting because you 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 imply that um, you're you're looking for things that aren't as creepy as real life, but then you base pig killer on a real life serial killer. Well, you know, hey, I take the gigs as they come. And, you know, <laughs> one of those things where, you know, Kate Patel came to me with the story and the, and I had never heard of the guy. I had heard things about killers feeding victims to pigs and things, but I never, you know, specifically heard about Willie. And she kind of pitched this idea of him. And I'm like, well, you know, we both, both grew up on farms. We both had fucked up parents. We both uh, had a love for animals in a sense. So, you know, there were things that I could relate to with the guy. And I was like, you know, if you can raise, you know, one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, you know, count me in. And she said, yeah, that's no problem. So I said, OK, give me three grand. I'll go write the script. She gave me three grand. I went home, wrote the script and uh, two weeks later, sent it to her and she dug it. And I was like a month after that, we were shooting it. it, it so how cool. So it, it's based off of Robert Willie 
Picton, yeah, who's one of uh, Canada's most infamous serial killers, according to Wikipedia. Um, And I had never heard of him. And it sounded like I think he was arrested in like the 90s, early 90s or something like that. Uh, Early, late 90s, early 2000s. I think he was on trial in 2002, something around that. Yeah. So it's fairly I mean, I feel like that obviously didn't make like world news because I'd never heard of it. I think Canada kept it kind of buried because they didn't want it getting out. And, you know, they're not sensationalizing it like the U.S. would or anything like that. Oh, yeah. Kept it quiet, even to the point when we were playing film festivals. A lot of Canadian film festivals said, you know, we're funded partially by the government and there's no way we can play this because they might pull the funding. Anything that mentions or is close to hitting home with Canada. So it was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So how close is it to the like? Obviously, you took your inspiration, but like how close, like where does it veer from true crime to horror, I suppose? I'd say, you know, 90% of the elements in there are true. You know, little things like the pig mask is, you know, my nod to Motel Hell or, you know, deranged. There's some elements of, you know, films that I just love that I sprinkled throughout there. But, you know, a lot of the stuff, the dildo, the pistol with the dildo silencer, the injecting victims with windshield washer fluid and antifreeze. I mean, the parties, all that stuff's true stuff. The messed up parents. I mean, the brother, I mean, Pat, the guy with the tracheotomy, he's a true character who ended up, you know, um, turning on Willie and giving state evidence and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, and the, the last final scene after the credits is word for word, the uh, police in, um, informant uh, recording. Oh, you know? <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, why? So I don't get true crime. Like, and I think it's that, like, I, I, I don't like to think about real creepy shit. I like weird sure, creepy sure. shit. Um, but what, you know, people love serial killers. You know, they love to know about them. And like, wh- what is it? What compels people to kind of, I think that, you know, that it, it, it really happened. And, you know, these people c- could be right next door to you. They could be your best friend. They could be in, you know, and they kind of keep it hidden and they're doing this stuff, you know, uh, behind the curtain, you know, and, and people are fascinated by that. And, you know, it, it's scary and, but it's close to home for a lot of people. Cause you know, everyone's got a, a serial killer from their hometown or, you know, that they knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who was associated with them. Kate, uh, her, aunt had gone to one of the parties so there was a thing that you know kind of went full full circle for her because she grew up in vancouver and she had kind of an obsession with this guy because it was in the news around there at the time and she kind of just you know had this dying urge to tell his story and when she gave it to me i think it might have been a different thing of a more serious tone and a thing but for me i just kind of take things as they come and, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I let it out. And what comes, what comes. I don't try to be as serious as someone might have taken his story. Because to me, there's elements of humor in everyone who's violent or whatever. You know, Hitler might have had a great sense of humor. I don't know. But there are elements that I find interesting that try to bring a humanity to someone so vile. And at the same time, you know, keep it entertaining because who wants to watch two hours of a guy, you know, sniveling down, chopping up bodies. And, you, you know, I, I try to put a little thing of the reality of because everyone has something, whether it's they're a good cook or they're charming or whatever it might be. 
and a dark side. And his happened to be, you know, chopping up prostitutes and feeding to his pigs. And I tried to find, uh, ride a light element of that to keep it so it's not as depressing gloom and doom, you know, through the whole watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I can even think of, you know, there's, I remember when I was a kid, wa- the first time watching um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Uh, like, I remember there's like a scene where they're trying to like put the hammer in the grandfather's hand so he right, can right. take the killing blow and it just keeps like falling out. And right. me and my friends were dying laughing. Like, I'm, and you're like, this isn't supposed to be funny, but it's hysterical. So, I mean, right. there's, there's that kind of, yeah, I don't know, like, almost somewhere between you need that laughter to kind of like alleviate some of that creep and pressure, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Kind of release it to, before you blow up kind of thing. Um, Were there parts of his story that you're like, I'm that's too far. I'm not going to put no. that in. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love horror people. They're like, no, no, whatever. <laughs> it was all fucked up. I, you know, that's uh, the funny thing is a lot of people, you know, a lot of the reviews recently just find such great offense. They're like, what about the victims? What about the victims? And I'm like, the victims are dead. I, I mean, I really, you know, is there a time period that it's like, oh, if this were 50 years ago, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, everyone's like, it, it, it's too soon. Or, you know, it's like shit happens. People die. I, I just kind of, I look at it as a, as nihilistically as possible. Some were good people. Some were bad people. What happened? What happened? I don't, I'm just trying to paint a, a picture of a film that's entertaining with some bits of fact. And, you know, someone might find it offensive, but they might find something interesting within it to make them go look up the story and then donate to women's shelters or whatever they, they might do to help them feel better. But to me, it's, it's making a film and art and some people are going to dig it and some people are going to hate it. And I just kind of, you know, roll with the punches. I don't let it get me down. Cause I move on to, you know, I'm shooting a film in December. I, you know, for me, yeah. you just keep making them and you hope the next one's better than the previous one. And that's kind of my, my yeah, business too, model. too soon. I'm like, it was like 25 years ago. Like, <laughs> right. that, but, um, yeah, I, I don't get that because then I, I, like, I remember when nine 11 happened, like those movies came out, like the next year and i'm like i don't want to relive that that is that was too soon right yeah um although my favorite too soon story i had a buddy who's a bartender and you know customer sits down or two customers sit down and one of them's like i don't know what i want he's like you know what should i have my buddy's like uh how about a pearl harbor and he's like will it get me bomb like pearl harbor and the guy's like bro too soon and i'm like (laughs) <laughs> that was World War Two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said you're working on a, a film in December. Yeah, where I'm doing another H.P. Lovecraft film, uh, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, with Eddie Furlong, Bai Ling, Ginger Lynn, Robert Miano, Susan Prever, uh, Steve Railsback. You know, it, it should be a lot of fun. You did um, the deep ones, right? That yeah, I did the the deep ones back in 2000, I guess. Then I just were uh, its sequel the old ones is hitting festivals uh this year and then coming out in march i believe it, he's one of those guys like i i on not a big reader um have a, a a little little touch of dyslexia so i don't find it that enjoyable but um people <laughs> love his writings i mean 
No, as a, you know, I can understand as a kid, I was always kind of like it was a slog to get through his stuff. Yeah. But as an adult, it, it's 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 really, you know, I've grown to love it more than, you know, I'd even expected to. Even when when I did the deep ones, it was kind of like going through all of his stuff and then, you know, refreshing my mind and picking stories that I liked and elements from them. And it, it was a treasure trove of inspiration and, you know, the, the stuff he came up with, you know, in the 1920s is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's influenced pretty much everybody. So, you know, and the, and the fact that it's in public domain is <laughs> the icing on the cake. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, anyone can do it or pull stuff from it. And there's, there's you know, fanatics out there who, you know, eat up his stuff. But at the same time, they get so serious that you didn't say isn't this name right or you didn't do this. And it's like all of this stuff is like if you can find inspiration in anyone's writing and use it, I think it's just a great uh, homage to them and you know, no matter where, if they're up above or down below, they're smiling in some way because they're remembered all these years later. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's. I don't know. There's something like so creepy about his stuff, and just that kind of the the elder god kind of right, right. It, it's you know when it's the serial killer like Pig Killer, you're like, all right, you know, maybe I could get away. Or, you know, maybe I could take him out or the, the law will prevail. But when it's like right. Cthulhu, you're just like, no, we're pretty much all screwed. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. Um. So when you're filming a movie like Pig Killer, you know, you get your actors, you get your special effects people, because those are really the keys to all good horror. Yeah. But then, like, where do you start? Do you start? Are you a storyboard kind of guy? Um, I know, like, everyone's kind of doing like animatics now. Like, it seems like with technology advancing, people spend more time. I feel like they spend more time prepping. Maybe that's just my misunderstanding of the business. To no, I mean, on all of these, I kind of go by the same business model: fast, cheap, and you know, to get as much as you can. And, you know, so the, my prep is usually about a month ahead of time, just scouting and finding locations and everything. And then once the locations and cast is locked, maybe make, make another pass through the script to kind of visualize the actual locations with what I had in the script to make sure that kind of is uh, copacetic. And then, uh, you know, my DP, Jeff Billings, who I've worked with on the past couple films, I send it to him he kind of goes through it and you know he's like yeah we can do this we can do this and we can add this visual effects and we can and it's like okay that's great joe castro my special effects makeup guy he goes through it and says yeah we can do this this will be great this will be great but you know cutting off a head and doing this that'll cost this much and i'm like okay forget the head <laughs> you know it, it comes down to how much money you've got and whatever and then it's also you know we're doing we did a 120 page script in you know 12 days so it's at least 10 pages a day, sometimes more. And you kind of just, if the actors know their lines and they're on, you know, par with what you, the vision is, you're great. Cause then you get one or two takes, move on, another setup, move on, move on, move on, move on, move on. And you know, it, it's been an, ex, it's an exciting thing because you're not over planning it or overdoing it. You kind of know the routine and the time you have to get it. And if things aren't working, you just like, okay, scrap it. Let's do it this way instead. And you're, you're flexible with uh, the vision, so to speak. So mm -hmm. if an actor comes up with some great improv or has a character that does it in a different way than you might've written, it's like, great, this is, they're on board and they're feeling that energy and they feel even more invested because you're giving them the freedom to kind of roll with it. 
you know, and, and it's been a, a fun, exciting way to kind of make films instead of, you know, storyboarding every scene and setting it up. And then you get on the set and it's like, wow, this looks nothing like <laughs> you know, these yeah. storyboards, you know, and, and you just kind of, you know, roll with it. And some t some films that works really well for some scenes, it kind of messes up and you just have to quickly rethink a way to make it work and and then finally make it rework work every rework everything in the editing room and you know then it really starts to shine or and, stink. I, <laughs> and i think that's kind of like a hallmark of horror movies is that kind of you know let's make it work let's make it work you know would you I mean, obviously, everyone would like more money, but would you really want like an Avengers movie level budget to make something <laughs> uh, like Big Killer? No, <laughs> to make a Western or a period piece. Sure. But I don't think, you know, in those terms, I kind of take it as it is. I don't aspire anymore to be, um, you know, Akira Kurosawa or someone, you know, that's or David Lynch or any of these people that have their niche and it's big and it's great. And everyone kind of loves their stuff. It's like if I can be Al Adamson or Ed Wood, I'm fine and happy with you know i like getting people that i've worked with before and have a good time with together shoot a movie out in a week or two and you know have fun doing it and then hope an audience you know uh, connects with it you know ed, ed sometimes woods. i do sometimes I do. <laughs> yeah ed wood's one of those great examples i mean like as much as people knock him like to this day people still watch and love his movies even though like I, when I started, I, I love bad horror movies. I love bad sure. movies in general. You know the, the radioactive, you know crickets that are climbing up the side of the Empire State Building. You're like, those are just regular crickets on a postcard of the Empire State Building. <laughs> you know, but there's something about like that creative solution to be like, well, we have eight dollars to make this shot work, and. Right. No, the stuff I loved about him, you know, look, he, you know, when no one was giving Bela Lugosi a work, he gave him work on a nickel, you know, and they shot mm -hmm. these things in like four or five days on film. And, you know, they, it, to me, that's impressive. And to call him, the, you know, the worst filmmaker is laughable because there's, there's tons of worst filmmakers oh out my God. right now as we speak. So, you know, it's it's insane. Yeah, I remember when I was first introduced to him, like, you know, it was in high school and it was long before the Internet. And it kind of gave right. you that. Like I have that this cool thing I've seen Plan Nine for Outer Space and people are like what's that and you're like oh it's the worst movie ever made and then you see something like Manos the Hands of Fate and you're like all right hang on <laughs> Plan Nine's pretty good <laughs> which even Manos has some charms I mean that's the thing when people crap on these movies to the degree it's like you know Killer Shrews is a masterpiece when you look at certain things and the time they had to do you know I'm always thinking about that or when I see a shot of a gag that works for them. I'm like, Oh, that's how they did it. And it's mm -hmm. ingenious to save the time and the money into, you know, dressing dogs up in these costumes. And I mean, it, it's great, you know, and, and there's a lot, giant Gila monster. I mean, these movies are so much fun, but at the same time, when you figure out their limitations, it's like, you know, that's pretty impressive. You know, oh, for what sure. they're able to do. And then you hear about, you know, how much money they made on the drive-in circuit and all this stuff. And they're still being talked about today or they're on television late at night. And you're like, you know, that's 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 something to aspire to for me more than, you know, a Spielberg type career or something. It's to make things that someday, you know, someone will see late at night on TV and be inspired the same way I was, you know. so Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Manos is just hard to get through, man. It's so slow. <laughs> yes. Like, it, it's not that it's bad. It's so goddamn slow that i just <laughs> i can't but watch I love for more the, than 20 minutes 
I remember a while back there was a little thing on eBay where someone had found the uh, the actual negative of Manos or the ca- all, like all the camera oh, negatives. Wow! And he, he bought them off eBay for like a nickel, and then he basically reassembled it all, and then was you know put up a Kickstarter to get money to basically do a top-notch blu-ray of it it was like a pretty neat story and when they show the pictures of the film cans and this drippy old you know seller you're like you know that's that's pretty amazing that something snuck its way in there and lived and now can be restored for you know whoever quentin tarantino to play at the new beverly or something yeah it makes you wonder what else is out there you know right right yeah, every, I feel like every once in a while you hear about like a old Doctor Who that's been long lost that they found in like <laughs> Bangladesh on you know something weird. Sure. Um, so my favorite place, actually, I don't, I don't subscribe to Shutter, so I couldn't tell you, but I love uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime mm-hmm. has like the best bad movies out there. <laughs> um. Do you, I mean, do you spend a lot of time watching like other horror movies or are you just kind of like busy working on what you're no, you know, I'm going to ask always... you for recommendations, basically <laughs> um, anything, you know, from Poopy Avati. He's an Italian horror filmmaker. He did, you know, Zader, uh, House of Laughing Windows. I mean, his stuff is just really amazing. The mood and the, the, the sense of dread that is in these is, is phenomenal. I mean, I'm not a streaming guy. I get I, I get my movies from the library. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm big on physical media, and you know, you just type in the library. Some library around the state will have it. You have it sent to your library. You walk over there, pick it up, go home and watch. You know, uh, a, you know, like a Japanese film that is obscure that you know, you know, you'd never heard of, but you're like, oh, let me check this out. Like the Zatoichi series. Uh, from like 1962 to 1990, it was like these series of like um, Lone Wolf and Cub type films, but before Lone Wolf and Cub with the blind yeah. sword. And, and when I started getting into those, I was like, holy shit, here's something I had not seen. I'd heard about, but never seen it. And then picked it up in the library, watched the first episode. And it was like, you know, cocaine. I'd have more and more and more. And then I buy the uh, Criterion Blu-ray set of them all. It's pop them in and I'm watching one after the other because it was so magical and so well done. And the lead actor is so charismatic and so good. You're like, okay, this, this is how, you know, if you've never heard of an actor and you see them, like a Brad Pitt or someone, you just automatically know, okay, that, that guy's got something. He's going right. somewhere. And the same thing with this guy. He was just phenomenal. And I was hooked on, you know, seeing not only that, but any other films he had been in because he's just got that something. And, you know, it, it, it's a, a magical thing when you find stuff that may have a huge following and maybe a huge thing, but it's new to you. And it kind of reinvents your awe of cinema. And, you know, so finding new stuff and everything is, is a great thing about the library. You go there, there's tons of stuff on the shelf. And here's a little Ita- Italian film by Fellini or someone that you may not have seen it. You go home and you're like, wow, this eight and a half is really something. <laughs> and then, you know, you're kind yeah. of you're new to something that you kind of thought, well, I've seen it all. But it's really there's so much out there, you know, and I've thought, you know, I used I grew up watching, you know, five movies a day on a Betamax. I mean, you might, you know, beg my parents to come home with some movies and they bring, you know, Saturn three taxi driver, you know, quest for fire. And you're like, (laughs) your mind's blown. And then, you know, you're kind of hooked from then on. And it's still an exciting thing, you know, 50 years old to find some stuff 
that you you'd not heard of before and pop it in and be blown away. And it, it's every time you uncover like one of those unknown gems, it un, it leads to more because you're like, right. I didn't know of this director or actor or genre or like who influenced this. And then you're like, oh, that leads you down like so many different, you know, avenues and in, into other movies. And sure, sure. Yeah. Um, do you have a particular favorite director? Uh, God, you know, Toby Hooper is somebody I'm always going back to. And, you know, it's funny because he had such a great diverse career of things that can be considered crap to things that are like, wow. But yeah. even crap has elements of greatness. I mean, Eaten Alive has some amazing things. I mean, Neville Brand is a fucking fantastic. And there are certain things when you watch that and then you watch Salem's Lot, it's like, wow. I mean, it's, it's amazing the same guy did these. Or Life Force or Poltergeist. I mean, Texas Chainsaw, all these things that are just so great. But at a lot of time, he gets shit on for some of the crappier films. But even in the crappier films, you can see greatness. And I think that's the thing that, you know, as a filmmaker, it's fun for me that even a bad movie can be informative and learn from and have those things and still find elements that are redeeming, whether it's a performance or a special effect or even the music. I mean, there's things that you can like, OK, you know, that's to me that worked. You know, yeah. it may have its flaws, but I can watch it. Oh, I can watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 over and over and over again because of the humor and because of the choices and because of the things, because it's not you know, the sequel you were expecting. It's something that it's like, this guy's like, you know what, here's what I'm going to make. I'm not going to make something you're expecting. It's completely different. Yeah. And, you know, so many people go into making a movie that it may not have the biggest star or the best director, but then someone else somewhere along the line makes a great choice. And you're just like, oh my God, this is a great shot. Or that's like, right. you know, this is a great set. And you can kind of just you know, make mental notes of like, okay, that that's great. That someone that could be used in a different way in a different film, and sure, it, sure. It, it's just always kind of like you never know what you're gonna learn from from where, and that, it, that's to me such an important thing, you know. No, especially if you're if you if you're open to that kind of thing, where I think a lot of people are closed. You read some reviews, worst movie ever, and they're just it's closed minded to it's like you know they they were hating it before they even started watching it. Yeah, there's sure. something just, you know, a negative ask of going into a film that is, is kind of baffles me because it's like I go into everything, whether I hate the director or his previous work, I'm going to just watch it as, as as, you know, a piece of art. And then from that, I'll decide whether I like it or not. But I'm not going to resort to going online and telling people to stay away from it. It's like everyone's got, you know, their own thing. If they dig it, they hate it. But, you know, it's fine to say, hey, I didn't like this, not my cup of tea or whatever. But to stay away from this, stay away from this is, is baffling to me. <laughs> you know, it it's funny that you say that specifically because I'm going through that in real time. Um, I live in Plymouth, Mass. Sure. And Thanksgiving just came out, the new Eli Roth movie. Yeah. And there's like, they they wanted to film it here, and the town was like, we don't want, you know, wow. a horror movie associated with our our Thanksgiving Day parade, and and so then when it finally came out, there's this whole group of people that'd be like, oh, it's fake Plymouth, it's fake Plymouth, and I'm like, do you know how many movies are actually filmed where there's like almost none of them, almost right. none of them, <laughs> and it's just like, why are you so angry that it wasn't filmed in? Like I, I was bummed because I'm like I think it would be cool that it was filmed here, but yeah, totally. But uh, just people being like, I'm not going to see it. it's fake Plymouth. I'm like, yeah, you you know Groundhog Day didn't take 
place an actual <laughs> punks tawny you know it, right, it's, right. it's just this weird weird reason to shit on the movie and i'm like i don't you know go see it and then shit on it if it's bad yeah exactly that's funny um but so you're also a writer do you prefer to direct things that you've written or does it make a difference to you you know um you know i'm open to th- that but you know even if it's a someone else brings me a script i usually like to go, kind of go through it just to kind of visualize whether it's you know just changing some camera direction and or adding camera direct whatever it is to give me a famu- familiarity to it that's kind of in embedded just even if i'm not trying to you know what it's just kind of it makes it more easier for me to get there and like okay we i know what we need we need this we need this we need this and it also helps going through it like that because i don't usually have a script supervisor so i have to kind of remember what i need and what what i got just because you know when your budgets are so low those are key jobs you can kind of cut out of the way and save some money that you can put somewhere else so being as familiar with the script as i can whether it's you know taking a pass on someone else's script so i'm just just more familiar with it and know exactly what i need to make it work yeah and so if you're writing something for yourself do you feel like less need to be descriptive because you're like no i know i know what i'm thinking you know kind of thing where if you were gonna like for someone else you might be like be a little more specific and spell it out a little more like well I, I, I try to keep it pretty you know discreet i try to keep it entertaining you know because i hate scripts that you read and it's just kind of a bore so i've had one you know the a great compliment i've had from a lot of my scripts is that they're very entertaining and it doesn't feel like a script there's a nice flow to it because no matter when you read a lot of scripts and a lot you know i go back to reading you know a lot of Richard Matheson scripts, you know, for whether it be Duel or some of the Twilight Zones or, you know, just reading his scripts are just like, wow, these are <laughs> like a little novel. I mean, they're great. So I kind of am inspired by that to try to keep the same kind of thing. So at least, you know, this may this script may not work or it may not be whatever, but it was a good read <laughs> or yeah. it flew by or whatever it was. So at least I succeeded in that if, you know, nothing else. Um. Can you tell us what the movie is you're filming in December? Can you like tell us a little bit about it, or is it? Uh, like, you know, it's it's based and... on you know Lovecraft's Beyond the Wall of Sleep, mixed. Oh, with, I'm sorry, um, you, you we did say it was Lovecraftian, but right. but mixed with um, characters from my first film, Unspeakable, which is kind of you know, <laughs> it's a funny thing because the actor from my first film, his name is Roger Garcia. I reconnected with him after like 20 years and said, "Hey, do you want to play a bit part in Pig Killer? Eh? You know, play a blind man." At, at the, at the door sure i'd love to hey it's been 20 years this is great he comes down shoots a scene we had a good time and he's like hey you should do a sequel to unspeakable and i'm like uh that movie didn't really make any money and uh <laughs> why no there's a huge fan base for it i'm like i don't think so but you know hey look roger you find the money i'll bake it yeah. and he, you know a month later he calls up hey i got you know i got 100 grand i got an investor he's ready to do it write the script here's my idea for it. And he, you know, he lays into this idea and I'm like, eh, well, find a prison location. Cause you know, this, this is, and you know, he kept falling apart finding this location. And I'm like, well, if you've got the money, I've got the check right here. It's ready to go. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, let me draw up a contract. Cause you know, I want to make sure that everyone knows what we're doing and has it in the thing. So I wrote up a contract, sent it to him. He signed the contract. He owes me $150,000 to basically, do this movie. I'm like, okay, it's funded. I start writing the script and I'm like, you know what? 
there was a Lovecraft story that dealt with dreams and these elements, which the first film, Unspeakable, had these dream elements going for it. So I'm like, let me see if I can interject the two. And, you know, I reread the Lovecraft story. I'm like, this is perfect. It just kind of came together. You know, two weeks later, the script was done. I'm like, this is one of the best things I've ever written. I, I'm like, this, this is going to be great. And the back of my mind, I'm like, don't send him that until you get the check. Don't <laughs> until you get the check. And but you know it, it got the better of me, and I sent him the script, and he you know he basically pulled the plug on the whole project, pulled his oh, money out. Oh no! I had to threaten yeah. to sue him, and you know they paid me a little bit, and we're like we left it amicable. We'll make something else. But he was so turned off by elements of this script and offended by it that it, it kind of derailed that. So I had to take that and then try to find funding for it. And at that point, I was kind of just angry. I'm like, no matter what, if I have to put my money in myself, I'll do it. But Susan Prever came on board and then some names came on board and then some money came on board and then pretty soon we were, we were fine and it was just a little bump in the road. But, you know, it, it's funny how those things of what you might think is great, someone else is going to be either scared by or whatever. And that was kind of the way it went. That's so fun. Yeah, because I was just going to be like, oh, I love when those little collaborative moments happen because something fairly similar recently happened to me where like someone just made like a vague reference to something I'd written and I'm like, you've completely changed the way that I'm looking at it because my brain just jumped to like parts that hasn't even been written yet. I'm like, Oh, that's going to work perfectly. Um, but to hear that it can go so South and like, you could lose the funding over something like that is <laughs> no. Cause it's one of those things when, you know, I had forgotten one key element. He had brought me out to lunch and he was pitching the way he wanted to do it. And that's fine. And it, it could have worked, but you know, for me, the Lovecraft angle sells, and if you add those things with it, it's just so it's a it's a safety net. And I was trying to convince him. I'm like, look, your investor, this is a safety net, and you know, it it it's it just the way to do it. But he said, you know what, my my sister doesn't want you know any of that dick stuff. You've got that dick stuff in some of your movies where you, you know you're cutting off dicks or you're you're doing this stuff with dicks. No dicks. And I'm just kind of nodding during lunch, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I start writing the script, I think subconsciously I'm like, more dicks, more, more dicks, dicks. <laughs> dick. alien dicks. So I add all this stuff. So when he reads it, I'm like, he's like, instead of no dicks, you've got all dicks. What is this? And I'm yeah. like, oh shit, I forgot you mentioned that. So yeah. there was a there was a thing, and I'm like, you know, you only hear kind of what you want to hear, whether it's good things or bad things. And at that point, for me. When someone pitches ideas and all that stuff, if they don't have the money, it's just all bullshit. And I've heard so many stories from producers and investors and actors who want to be stars saying, oh, I've got money. I've got this. But it's just, you know, lip service until you actually see it. And breaking oh, yeah. my rule of wait until the check clears before you show any of these fuckwads the script. Yeah. Because I'm open to collaboration and I'm open to changing. And I even said to him, look, man, I'll take all the dicks out. We'll change the whole thing to whatever way you want. But I need that money to make sure that it's going to get made because I'm not cool with I've got a pile of screenplays in my closet that I've written over the years on spec. And I as much as I love writing and love doing it, it's very deflating when you've done all this work and then it's like, no, oh, we don't have the money or we don't like the script or whatever it might be. And it's like, well, <laughs> okay. You know, because yeah. it's again, it's a, such a small amount of money to be making movies for. 
you know, a right. hundred thousand dollars is, you know, was a big, but was a low budget for night of the living dead. I mean, that's, you know, 50 years ago. So, you know, it's kind of making, you know, night of the living dead budget movies now <laughs> 50 years ago. And people are wondering like, Oh, this seems low budget or this seems cheap. It's like, well, it is. Yeah. But at the same time, everyone's getting paid Everyone, you know, is going to have something that's going to play the festivals and get distributed. So, I mean, I and I'm not going to run away with the money and buy a boat or anything. So, you know, at least people, investors know that it's like, well, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get something that's got a beginning, a middle and the end. We'll probably play all these festivals, get, you know, 90 percent good reviews and be released. And I mean, that's all you can hope for. Yeah. And then you just, you know, I think everyone wants that kind of cult classic movie and you know, even the 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 biggest cult classic movie is not the only movie they made. You know, you got to make them until one hits, and you, it's right, like trying to make right. a viral TikTok or something. You don't know which sure. one's going to go viral. You just got to kind of keep making them until until it happens. No, and if you have fun doing it, I mean, you know, that's the whole point. If everyone's you know having a good time and you finish the day and they have a smile on their face the next day, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah, and it's I was telling someone the other day they're like, oh, you know you have a fun job and I'm like, yeah, but it's, you know, still a job. And I'm like, I feel like 70% of my time is doing things that I don't really want to do to do 30% of things I really like to do. And it's right. to me, that just sounds like what you're going through is like trying to find the funding and trying to get everybody on board so you can do the fun thing like that little portion of the time. Right. No, that's totally it. I mean, because yeah. that's the thing, if, if you're, you know, if, when you talk about bigger budgets and all that kind of stuff, then there's more people that, you know, have an input and more things that you have to kind of abide by. I mean, the nice thing of doing them at these budgets, you have complete control and the people, you know, know that from the get go. They're like, you know, so it's like, I'm happy to hear your ideas or suggestions, but at the same time, I'm not going to throw out, you know, these things that are the reason I'm doing it for free, basically. Right. And, you know, having fun doing it. But, you know, it's because the, then you're like, who am I making this movie for? This person who's putting in, you know, 50 grand or or for myself who's working for nothing. So it's, it's a fine line of saying, OK, I'm fine doing that and giving that and giving that. But I'm going to stick to this because that's the reason I'm making it. I'll have so. as many dicks in my movie as I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Alien dicks everywhere. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that'll definitely be in the show notes, I'm sure. <laughs> My producer would be like, oh, and they talk about decks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but where can people Just go? Put in to... those beeps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, where where can you go? Uh, where can listeners go to find out like uh, when when your movie you're filming in December is coming out? Where they can get your other stuff and you know. Yeah, I mean, I post everything on you know. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You just type in my name and you'll find me. And I just kind of it's all about just what's going on with these films or the next film, and you know, you can keep up to date with with, with me there. Do Do you find social media important and or helpful to uh, to getting the word out about the movies? Because I feel like. I think so. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's it's. I'm not really a social media kind of guy. I mean, I don't even own a cell phone. I never have. I mean, I'm kind of just you know a luddite in a lot of ways. Holy crap. I mean, so <laughs> I, you know, I watch my Betamax and uh, my reel to reel recordings, and you know, uh, and, but you know, I think that it's an important thing if if someone out there sees the trailer and they're like, Hey, I really like this trailer. And then they find your Facebook and they see it's playing here at this festival or that, or it's got this good review or this bad review. I mean, at least they know that it, it exists or, you know, and there's not someone just saying, you know, waiting for, you know, the, 
the sun to shine. You know, I, I've got to do what I can with the limited uh, means. And the, especially when you've got, okay, I've got no money. What's a way to promote a film? You play a festival, it gets a good review. You spew that on Facebook or you retweet their stuff or, you yeah. know, you, you then start getting a thing or doing these interviews and, you know, a hundred people watch it and five of them are like, Hey, I want to go see that movie or whatever. It, 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 you've reached someone. It worked, you know, mm -hmm. it, and it may not be this grand scale of what someone is hoping for of, you know, Hollywood banging down my door to direct a remake of uh, Todd Browning's freaks or something. But, you know, I, for me, it's fun doing it. And I, you know, I got no problem, you know, you know, whoring myself out on social media and trying to get, you know, someone interested because, you know, if you find one person, it's successful. I'm still confused by that. You don't have a cell phone. <laughs> how, how do you make phone calls? I try not to. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, like, I never very rarely make a phone call on my phone. Like calling it a phone is almost stupid because that's right. the least thing I computer. use. It. Yeah. But uh, I want to say thanks, man. That's a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to uh, this next movie. Hey, thanks for having me. And let's uh, let's do it again. Yeah. When it comes out, come on back and uh, we'll, we'll talk more. Let's do it. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks. Man. And uh, listeners, you can uh, check us back next week, every Monday. We'll see you then. Thank you. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns. Or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.